So today uh, we're going to talk about uh, schizophrenia. There's no uh, specific PowerPoint. So we're going to talk about schizophrenia, psychotic disorders, and schizoaffective disorder. And so Matt will help me uh, stay on track and ask questions as I go along, hopefully. And if anybody else has questions, um, please feel free to chime in because uh, we're trying something different today with more of a sort of an informal interview, something that would be easier for people so that, that don't use the, um, the video or don't see the slides in the future and just want to hear audio only. Matt, is there anything you want to add? Birthday boy? Jin is making us wear these hats. I apologize. <laughs> That's really helpful. Thanks. <laughs> yeah. And you know, th this actually came up that we asked Niels to do it because uh, for those of you with in the Albuquerque Police Department, we use CIT worksheets to collect information and uh, maintain some data points and then just try to look for trends. And in that, you know, Niels had a big point part in that worksheet. And in that, we list the different diagnoses that someone could self-disclose or that you believe someone might be uh, living with. And on the schizophrenia one, it's schizophrenia slash uh, schizoaffective, I believe. And so when we were reviewing actually all of our curriculum, I don't think we ever truly talk about schizoaffective. And when we do, it's kind of in passing. Okay, so would that be a good place yeah. to start? Then? So when we were making that database, one of the things I was trying to think of is when we come into contact with people living with mental illness in their homes or wherever, they often just go through a list of diagnoses. Oh, I have this, and I have that, and I have schizoaffective, and I have schizophrenia, and I have bipolar. That's not an uncommon thing to, for us to be told. And so I wanted people to be able to, if they're told, oh, I'm schizoaffective, to be able to put it in the right spot, which is mostly in psychotic disorders. Uh, but schizoaffective is sort of a tricky one because it is a combination of schizophrenia and a mood disorder. So in order to really understand schizoaffective, you kind of have to look at both mood disorders and uh, schizophrenia first. And so I'll, I'll just review quickly. Schizophrenia, the, 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 it has five major things that you have to have for six months in order to be diagnosed with schizophrenia. Matt, do you know what those are? Pimping you out. The five things? Yeah, you need at least two of them. One of them, it changed because it used to not be hallucinations and delusions. That's one of them, right? That's, that's two of them. That's two of them. Then there is withdrawal. Withdrawal? I like what it is. Saying like, like, I got two of five. No, you're doing well. But no, withdrawal would be like. Hallucinations are the ones. So withdrawal, like, like lack of self-care. So yes. They're withdrawing from self. Exactly. Self-care. Very good. Um, one of it is like, well, what would the like flat effect be classified as? That's under negative symptoms. So the withdrawal is all part of negative. Symptoms. So that would all be in that. Okay. So you're only missing two. Well, those are only three that I ever know. <laughs> what are the other two? Does anybody know? Do you know? Anybody know out there? What are the other two major criteria to qualify you for schizophrenia? Doctors are allowed to answer too. Bridget, you have to know this. So what about disorganized speech? Yes. Oh, yes, disorganization. And so disorganized speech is one. What's the last one? A beard. A <laughs> beard. That can be close. Disorganized speech. I will stop talking so someone can pipe in. Okay. 
Second. I thought it was all disorganized. Isn't that no, the it's they're two separate things. Speech and behavior, two separate things. Yes. So disorganized behavior and disorganized speech are two different things. Now try to figure that out. What's the I'll interview you since you're not interviewing me? What's the difference between disorganized speech and disorganized behavior? It's not a trick question. What well one is with your speech. Yes. So your thought probably your your Language okay. would be disorganized. Yeah, and behavior would be like your behavior, okay. your characteristics. Yes, maybe how you're doing things. So, so if someone is you're talking to them and they're not making any sense, um, that could be disorganized thinking, disorganized speech. It's, schizophrenia was classically thought of as a thought disorder, and that's your thoughts are all jumbled and don't make any sense. Associations aren't intact. Okay. So when you have normal speech, like we're having. An, relatively normal conversation except you have this hat on which looks like disorganized behavior <laughs> so thank you ben. <laughs> so so in normal thought processes and conversations there's sort of a goal in the conversation sure. you know, the goal can be just chit chat it can be in, like we need to get something done we we have ideas and we go from one place to the next with this sort of logical progression right People with schizophrenia, their thoughts are all jumbled, and they go from one thing to another. They, they, their thoughts don't match up very well, or they go off the rails. Okay, they like get derailed. Right. Have you had patients like that or contacts yeah. like that? Yeah. And how is that feeling when you're talking to somebody who's disordered? It's frustrating. It's confusing. Yeah. For me, that's yeah. exactly right. It's frustrating, confusing, and it's interesting because that's one of the most important symptoms of schizophrenia. But often people don't think about it. Everybody's delusions, hallucinations. That's what everybody thinks about. But you you don't really need either of those to have a diagnosis of schizophrenia. Uh, you don't. You absolutely don't need either of those to have a diagnosis of schizophrenia. So you could be. You have to have really disorganized uh, thoughts. You have to have one of those three: disorganized thoughts hallucinations or delusions. You have to one of those three and then one of the other two, which are disorganized behavior and um, uh, negative. So you could just be really disorganized, never hallucinate, never be uh, paranoid or anything like that. And those are the kind of people who are sort of disorganized. You see them out on the street corners and, you know, they're disheveled and they, you talk to them and they don't make any sense. So they, they may not have had hallucinations for years and years. But they still meet the criteria of schizophrenia. Does that make sense? Yes. But what about then the behavior? You're saying is the bizarre stuff like hats? Hats. Yeah. Like if you wore that hat because you thought it gave you special powers. Well, that's or, not considered del delusions. Well, the delu that's that's a good point because delusions and hallucinations usually go together. Right. So uh, they often go together. They don't have to. So if you're dis if you're disorganized, you might be disorganized because of delusional beliefs. So I'm stacking everything, and I'm I'm making sure they're in the exact right piles, so that when the aliens come, they'll know that I'm organized and they've been talking to me. So those are actually three things that just happen. I'm hearing the aliens, I'm believing in the aliens, and my my behavior is disorganized because of those. Beliefs. Is there any behavior that you've seen that's disorganized though? That's not because of a delusion or hallucination. Absolutely, like like people who I've had patients who. Uh, Middle of summer, wear three or four layers of clothing, have a warm jacket. Um, so that's disorganized uh, behavior. Uh, people who are just, they just can't literally organize anything in their life. Everything's a mess. Everything's coming undone. They, they might have, um, you know, the, the, they wear a tinfoil hat, but you're right, that would be connected to a delusion.
but the, it's more the, the it can be tied with the kind of withdrawal from the society. I don't care about anything. I kind of let myself go. And then I might be doing sort of what look like autistic or repetitive behaviors. And that can be considered disorganization because that's disorganized behavior. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. But how long does this have to occur for someone to have an illness? Well, that's a good question. So if you're, if you're having psychotic symptoms and it's the first time in your whole life, you have to wait six months before you can get diagnosed with schizophrenia. So it's one of the inclusion criteria for schizophrenia is it has to persist for at least six months. Okay. So then the first one is from, zero, from, from your first psychotic moment to a month is brief psychotic disorder, and that's usually diagnosed retrospectively. So you're, you have a, you're, you're psychotic, so it's like psychosis not elsewhere specified or whatever, and you, if they get better, then it's just it's, it's brief psychotic disorder. And that's it, one time thing. Zero to one month. Yeah. So a lot of people, like if you're if you're a young kid, you're 18, and you you come into the awe of the ED, and you're psychotic. We don't know what it is. You know, it, maybe you you've been smoking marijuana, or you're doing some drug we're not aware of. We don't know what it is. Or maybe you're completely you're at the beginning of schizophrenia. We don't know. Nobody really knows. So that's if it's the beginning, you get that diagnosis. And if it persists for six months, then you become you get labeled as a person living with schizophrenia. Does that make sense? And the next one is schizophreniform, which is six months. Schizophreniform? Yeah, that one you're never going to hear. The ones you're going to hear are schizophrenia, schizoaffective, and then you'll hear about mood disorders with psychotic features. Does that make sense? Yeah. What is the treatment, though, if someone comes in with, like, psychosis NOS? Is it the same as the same treatment? It's the same treatment. Follow up again six months. Even if you know it's drugs, you still can do manic psychotics, and it can help. Okay, great. Can you read that? I can't see. It says um, a question from Corey Ryan says: Does disorganized behavior mean actually disorganized? What if the person is hyper organized? Is that a form of disorganization? Oh, that's a great question. Yes, in my opinion, yes, that would be disorganized because it's not it, it's not achieving the goal. It's what you're saying is being organized is in fact disorganized. No, no, I mean it, it's kind of a judgment call. So if someone's really well organized, they're just really well organized. But if someone's so like hyper organized and it's and you know they they have a color coding for everything and this one means this and then I cross reference them, if it actually works, great. But if you say, okay, can you get me yesterday's newspaper, and they, they, they have to go through their system and it takes them 10 minutes to find it, it's disorganized. So they can appear hyper-organized, but really it's disorganized. That makes sense. I, I hope that is what you're getting at. If someone's just very organized, they're very organized. But it, it, it can seem like pointless organization is a good sort of way disorganization might look. So that's a great question. Any other questions, please type them in or... Chime in at any time. I have a question. Ben Melendez with APD. Um, can, can people have hallucinations or delusions and not be sick? Not have a mental disorder or not be physically ill? Matt? I would think so. Okay, what would be an example of that? Well, I mean, for saying like an illness, I think like some grieving processes, okay. if you lose a really close loved one or family member, you might hear them. Okay. Um, yeah. I don't think that's necessarily illness for that part of the grieving process. Or what's the phenomenon when you hear like a loud noise when you're falling asleep? 
hypnagogic hallucinations. I don't think that's an illness. No. Um, or that, like, sometimes I lick random handles and I'll see <laughs> stuff in a few hours. <laughs> those are great examples. I think those are actually the better than the ones that, you know, there's hypnagogic, which is going to sleep. Uh, I'm sure there's a percentage of people out there in the audience who have, as they're falling asleep or as they're waking up, you, you know you're awake because you can kind of see the room and you, you can hear something or you can have a vision or you can um, become paranoid in a way. Um, so those are hallucinations or delusions that are normal. That's just part of, it's a variant of norm. Um, and that can happen when you're waking up or in the middle of the night too. And Matt's right. If someone's grieving and they hear the voice of the loved one, that's not necessarily what we call pathologic, meaning it's a disease. Um, if it persists or they, they, it starts taking over their life or they're getting orders from that person or they, they're no longer able to function at work, then it becomes pathologic. But yeah, you can definitely have, that's a great question, you can have these symptoms. And that's where it gets very confusing because schizophrenia, people think, oh, schizophrenia means psychotic. And there's, there's almost, uh, there's a huge overlap from the idea of psychosis and schizophrenia, but they're really not one and the same. Psychosis is a symptom or set of symptoms, which is delusions, hallucinations, and it can also be this disorganization. But it's not necessarily one and the same with schizophrenia. So I know a guy that thought that because he tuned in to watch this hockey team was the reason that that hockey team lost. <laughs> okay. Wouldn't that be a delusion? We call did, that, did the team lose? Did the team lose? Did they lose? Yes. Reality. That's called magical thinking, and that's normal in children. <laughs> How dare you? Both of you guys. But magical thinking is, and superstitions, those are culturally acceptable. So those are not delusions or hallucinations because they're culturally acceptable. So if you're in a culture where it's okay to believe in ghosts, and everybody believes in ghosts, then that's okay. And our culture is pretty close to that. Well, so I, I think that's actually, I have a question on Okay. So... If you guys, as you know, clinicians, you guys have someone coming in, you have to make a diagnosis. Yes. You're doing that every year. How do you guys determine what's culturally acceptable or not? Like, Dr. McCoy is a great example. If she's from New York, then coming to New Mexico. So, what I'm going to say is a whole different culture here. Uh-huh. How, how would you. Are rude in New York? Is that what you're No, no, no. Because I'm thinking here we have the, the culture of Native Americans. There's a lot of things like skinwalkers and stuff like this. And then you have a lot of deep uh, Catholicism here with ghosts and spirits and stuff like that. It may be different. Okay. How, how would you determine what is acceptable culturally? Well, I mean, it, it's Please not, don't tell me Google. Please don't tell me Google. Like, no, but I was going to say, you say research and okay. ask them. And so if someone comes in, the way I usually do it is try to get a baseline. Okay, this person is from a different culture, and I think, honestly, Google is probably not the worst place to get a, a sort of baseline. But what I do in those situations is I ask first-degree relatives, and I ask um, close friends and people in that community. So, um, And I've gotten interesting answers. All the, what I thought was psych- psychotic might turn out to be, no, that's normal, like ghosts or or skinwalkers. And other times I've gotten answers like, yeah, that's part of our culture but it's sort of like none of us really believe it that much and they've gone way overboard so unless you get that context in the culture and for that certain person so if you know your son believes in santa claus that's fine if your son's 45 and he's still waiting for santa claus to show up and it maybe that's really part of this that greater culture in that little pocket it's unlikely but 
that's abnormal. But I wouldn't know that if I didn't know about the Santa Claus. Like if, let's say, I came from a different culture, and then it's like, this guy believes that people deliver gifts and they come down the chimney. Like, oh, that's normal for kids, but it's not normal for adults. And I wouldn't know unless I asked. But so, you know, we don't normally ask these questions as law enforcement because we're only looking at safety stuff. But you're saying if you have someone come in and you're doing an assessment and they're talking about people coming through the walls or, or telling them to do something, mm-hmm. and you'll ask them, do, you know, are you saying that you ask your patient, like, do other people think this is real or is this acceptable? You no, that's a great question. So the, another way to look at delusions is or is uh, delusional beliefs, excuse me, is dividing them into two categories, bizarre and non-bizarre. And so bizarre is basically things that can't possibly be true if you have a fundamental belief in reality. Um, and non-bizarre are things that could happen. The government is surveilling. They've tapped my phones. You know, I knew it. <laughs> I knew so those are very common non-bizarre delusions. And so, yeah, you have to, if someone comes in and you're talking to me and you say they're tapping my phones and I'm like, okay, we're admitting you to the hospital. But then your wife says to me in confidence, you know, he actually is an FBI agent or was one. And this is, it, it might be hard. Is he really being tapped or is he psychotic? And sometimes it's very hard to know, but you try to get as much context as possible. So bizarre delusions is kind of where you were headed. Those, you don't need a lot of corroboration. The aliens came, they took all my organs, and they put in metal parts. Okay, I don't need to check with the wife to see if that really happened. That's less likely. It's less likely. <laughs> so, and it used to be in the old DSM where you could be diagnosed with schizophrenia based solely on bizarre delusions. But like That oh. was your only symptom, and you made the cut. Um, but they changed that, so now you need to. Um, so going back to... So going back to schizoaffective, that's sort of the road we're heading down. Unless you have I, other I have questions. Another question. Does someone else have a question? Well, that was one about what if the ghosts tell you to do stuff. That was back when you told me ghosts, but you kind of covered that. If someone is experiencing delusions or hallucinations like this, what about insight? Does that play into it? Okay, yeah. So, I mean, like, I mean, that's what I'm getting at. Like, do you, if you ask your patient, like, you know, what makes you think that the aliens here, or do other people believe that? Would someone possibly have insight been like, why, you know, people have told me before that it's not real or, you know, my family's telling me it's not real or do they lag the insight in and it's. No, that's a good way to see, to check, to see if they're delusions or not. Like, does your family believe that? Like, oh yeah, they all believe it. They know it's happening. They know I've been bugged. I've worked with the CIA for 10 years and now they're doing it to me. You can ask anybody. You can ask all my friends. Okay. That's fine. So, but what you're talking about is more. Um, insight of the person, right? So delusions almost, not almost, but by definition, lack insight. Okay. So if I believe that, you know, President Obama, you know, gave me a special post in the government, he's not even president anymore, so that's not a good start. But if I believe something I that's not true, I have to have a lack of insight. I have to, at some point, not be able to be insightful about that. But just like everything, it's not all or nothing. Like, so I believe that, yeah. you know, I'm, I can fly. I know it. I know I can fly. Well, then why don't you get up and show us? Like, I don't want to do that now. And sometimes I can't fly all the time. You know, so you sort of hedge a little bit. So there's might be some modest insight, but you're still delusional. But if you have total insight, there's no delusion. You can't, you can't have both. 
Yeah. So you can't have one without. So you can have. We, everybody has weird thoughts. Right. So people have, and the example I always use is: you're walking along the ridge at the Sandia Mountains, and you look over, and you're like, "I wonder what it would be like to jump, or I wonder what it'd like to be able to fly off like a bird." So I'm having thoughts of flying to like fly a bird. off of a bird. No, fly as a bird. So not like a co-species thing. (laughs) Yes, that too. So you might, people have weird fantasies and thoughts, and this actually is an interesting spot of where is it a delusion and where is it just sort of a fantasy. Right. So if it's a fantasy, and it gets harder with kids too. So because their their dividing line between fantasy and reality is a lot murkier. Um, So they really do believe they're monsters under the bed. But it, it, everybody has weird fantasies and weird thoughts and all these things creep up, but those are not necessarily delusions because you can look at them and say, yeah, this is just a fantasy. Or moreover, it's a thought that I don't want to have. I keep thinking I can fly, but I know I can't. Or I keep thinking, you know, I have to keep washing my hands, but I don't want to keep thinking that, but I do anyway. So those are not psychotic, but they're very intrusive and they feel foreign but they're not psychotic because you have insight. Okay. Does that make sense? Yes. Okay. So, and please, if there are any other questions as we go along. Okay, so now mood disorders. Now, mood disorders, the two main ones we'll talk about are depression and bipolar. And just a very quick refresher. Depression is pretty straightforward. You have a depressed mood. You don't care about life. You lose weight. You lose interest. You don't want to get out of bed, etc. You can get so depressed that you become psychotic. And typical psychotic uh, depression is everybody hates me. My wife hates me. My kids hate me. The neighbors hate me. The whole country hates me. I walk down the street and I know they're thinking about how awful I am. That, that kind of stuff happens. And I can hear them t- whispering and talking to me saying, I don't deserve to be alive. Those are hallucinations and delusions connected to depression. Mania happens even more frequently that you can get delusional. Delusions of grandeur. I am the most important person who ever lived. I've solved all the problems. I've written a secret formula. I can communicate with people, you know, in the highest forms of government just by using my mind. So those are delusions of sort of grandeur. Um, And they can also become, frankly, psychotic, hearing voices, all sorts of things when you're manic. So then what do you do with somebody who has both of these? They have... Signs of schizophrenia and signs of bipolar, let's say. Well, what are some signs that are different that's unique to bipolar? And then what's one that's unique to schizophrenia that they don't? So disorganization. Is it only unique to schizophrenia? It's, yes. I mean, you can have it with, with, um, with bipolar because you your thought process can kind of go off the rails. There's a lot of crossover. So the, the part that, are, that is... You know, auditory hallucinations, it's more the, that's a really good question. But all of these diagnoses are just sort of clusters of symptoms over time. Okay. And so uh, bipolar is a mood disorder. So you have to have that elevated or irritable mood or the depressed mood. So, and so is um, depression is a mood disorder. Your mood goes down. Bipolar is a mood disorder. Your mood goes up or down. And so that's the big defining characteristic of the the mood disorders or affective disorders. So what gets tricky is, well, what if someone is schizophrenic and they've been schizophrenic for two years and then they just seem like they're talking all the time, they're not sleeping, they now have grandiose delusions where they never had them before, they just pull on manic. What do you do with that? Are they bipolar or are they schizophrenic? 
Exactly. So what they are—that's <laughs> a good answer. No, so what they are is they're schizoaffective. At least you so can call them schizoaffective. Yeah. Would that change then the treatment course? It would because you would be more likely to use mood stabilizers because now they have a mood component to their illness. We got a question. Good. Couldn't they be both? I guess you're saying they couldn't. Usually, are one or the other. You're you're one or the other, or you're schizoaffective. So, and sometimes people go, what happened? This is why people end up with so many diagnoses. You can go to three fantastic psychiatrists. One will say bipolar. Maybe a year later, one will say schizoaffective. And then a year later, one will say just schizophrenic. And they can all be right, depending on where you are in the course of your illness. And how does, so, you know, we, we talk a lot about co like, you know, it seems a lot of people are living with schizophrenia that we come in contact with law enforcement are also using substances. Yes. So how, how do you guys determine that maybe the, the hyperness manic type behavior isn't due to like a stimulant? Okay. That's a great question. And it's very difficult. I mean, the, the ways you do it is, I mean, the classic way is someone comes in manic, you test them, they have meth, they come down. Now they're perfectly normal. That's an easy one, right? The other side is someone comes in manic, you test them, they're negative for everything, their family says they've never done any drugs, they have all the classic symptoms of mania, it persists for a few weeks, you give them lithium, they do fine for a few months, they stop the lithium, they become manic again. It's like a no-brainer, right? That's clearly not due to substances. And then there's everything in between, and you try to put, do your best to put them in one category or the other. Which one are they more? Which one is driving this more? Um, and there's also so much crossover. So a lot of people with bipolar are more likely to do drugs. People with schizophrenia are more likely to do drugs. So it, it, it just gets very, it's a very difficult diagnosis at times. So it's not easy. So bipolar mood disorder means something is affecting your mood. So yes. you would have to then experience some type of mania and some type of depression or just mania. Just the mania is all you need. So you could just be flat, but you just experience times of extreme. It could be what's called euthymic, which is in the middle. So there's euthymic and then there's dysthymic and euphoric. So if you're in the middle and then you become manic and you're manic for a few weeks and it messes up your life and you, you, you move to another country and you spend all your money and then you move back and you're on medication and now you're better and you're better for the rest of your life, yeah, you're better. And then schizophrenia is more of a disorganization. Yes, it, it, so schizophrenia is a thought disorder, and uh, it, you know one of the best descriptions that I've seen is from a guy. I think his name is Beloyer or Beluler. I never can pronounce his name correctly. So he did it in four. He said there's four major things, and they're A's. So there's affective problems. So you can have a flat affect, you, you just aren't there, and you can have mood problems. And then you can have sort of autistic tendencies. And these aren't in the DSM anymore, really, the autistic tendencies. They, so people with schizophrenia often just are withdrawn from the world. So they, the autistic stuff kind of gets caught up into the negative symptoms. But they can be really just seem like autistic in a way. Um, they just... Like we've had this before, you know, hey, you, you haven't seen your parents in five years. They've been looking for you. And then they look up and like, oh, hi, mom. Hi, dad. They just, they're, they don't have that same emotional reactivity that okay. would be normal. And that was described as autism. And they're sort of in their own world. Like I've had patients who 
on the act team or living with schizophrenia, you go visit them in their house and they're sitting there smoking a cigarette in their living room, TV off. I'm like, huh, did you just turn off the TV? No. How long have you been sitting there? Well, a few hours. Like just sitting there, staring at a blank wall, essentially. You know, that's not something normal people are even capable of doing, um, for the most part. And so there's autism, affect, and then there's associations. So that's the loose associations, not being able to put your thoughts together. And the last one, that, and this guy, all he was able to do was observe people. There was no medicines, there were no tests, there was no anything. And these are the observations, and I think they still hold very true. And the other was ambivalence, and that's often overlooked too. So ambivalence is one that's actually, I think, very important in your field, Matt, because a lot of people with um, schizophrenia, they'll kind of just go along with the plan. You know, like, come on, let's just, let's just sit down. Like, okay. Like, you think it's going to be a big fight, and I'm not saying you should always have safety be your number right. one priority, but I've had, like, I remember this when I first finished my residency, or when I first started my residency, I just finished medical school, and now I'm manning the, the ER at the VA. And this big guy with schizophrenia comes in. He's like, I'm not fucking going to the hospital. I'm not fucking going to the hospital. I'm not getting admitted. And I'm there by myself. There's no real security. I'm thinking this guy's going to freaking kill me. And so I talked to the attending. He's like, yeah, you should probably have security go by, but just tell him he won't kill me. I'm like, huh? He's like, yeah, I know this guy. And so I told him, he's like, sir, um, and I'm obviously trying to keep myself safe. You're going to have to go into the hospital. He's like, okay. And that's not unusual. This guy Bloomer described the same exact thing where he was working in a, in a hospital where people were locked in basically for life. And so there was this one big schizophrenic patient, patient living with schizophrenia or whatever they called it back then. And he said, uh, I want the key. Give me the key. I want to get out of here. Give me the key. Every day, he bugged him and bugged him and bugged him. You got to give me the key. And finally, he's like, here, here's the key. Gave him the key. And he's like, eh, I don't really want it. And get to that. So this total ambivalence. Like, I want it. I don't want it. I want to go. I want to stay. I don't care. That kind of stuff. That's one of those symptoms of schizophrenia that a lot of people overlook and is still very prominent. But anyway, going back to uh, schizoaffective disorder. So the way schizoaffective disorder is written up in the DSM is they, they changed it recently. But basically what they want to do is make sure that you have a prominent mood disorder plus schizophrenia. So that mood disorder, so you can be schizoaffective bipolar type, so you have a prominent bipolar and you're also schizophrenic. And the way they decide that you also have schizophrenia is that even if you're not depressed or manic, so like if I'm manic and I have delusions of grandeur and then I'm cured and I no longer have delusions, I'm, I'm bipolar. If I'm manic and I have delusions of grandeur, I'm treated and I have delusions that uh, the neighbors are spying on me and I, my mood is fine and I'm functioning at work okay, but I still have delusions. What do you do with me? You call me schizoaffective. That's what you do. So it means I'm still, even if my mood is not elevated or lowered, I'm still having psychotic symptoms. Right. And that puts me into the category of schizoaffective. And so that's why I just lumped it in there going back to the original thing of this conversation is like, where do I put this? So if an officer bumps into somebody and they say, Oh, I'm schizoaffective, put it in there next to schizophrenia. So how come in, in literature, especially in like layman's type literature is schizoaffective then always associated more with schizophrenia, not bipolar? Is it considered more debilitating? I think part of it is, uh, I think part of it is because of the, the name. And I think part of it is um, it, it's, it's often treated more, with as schizophrenia, it's treated more with in 
with the medicines of okay. schizophrenia. So you're much more likely to use antipsychotics um, for somebody with schizoaffective depressive type as opposed to someone with a history of major depression. You might just use antidepressants. So right. you come in, you're depressed. Even if you've been psychotically depressed in the past, you're now doing well, there's a chance maybe just be on antidepressants. In, 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 schizoaffective is, is, is a kind of a controversial diagnosis and it's often sort of a dumping ground or garbage can diagnosis like I don't know what it is is it schizophrenia is it bipolar let's call them schizophrenia that's all the NOS stuff but this is a little bit better than NOS <laughs> okay and so it, it is a bit of a dumping you're adding ground. another name to it but from my experience for people with schizoaffective the way I try to think of them and the way I've seen is that some are more on the bipolar side or the, the affective, like they're more bipolar and that's how they look and they do better with antipsychotics. But even when you treat them and their bipolar is all pretty much better, they're still a little psychotic. So they're on the one end. And then on the other end, there are people who are, you know, they get depressed and they're kind of always a little depressed, and, but they're really schizophrenic. So they're kind of depressed most of the time, but their main problem is schizophrenia. So that's the other side. There's sort of the schizophrenic side of schizoaffective, and then there's the bipolar side of schizoaffective. And sometimes you just have to ask, like, which do you get? And, and then to complicate it, you can have schizoaffective bipolar type or schizoaffective depressive type. So if, you ever, if someone ever says to you, I have schizoaffective, if you want to sound really smart, you say, oh, is it bipolar type or is it depressive type? And then they'll hopefully know, and they'll tell them. So, schizophrenia I think, has got to be one of the most debilitating ones, and this might just be a random one, but I, I can name a bunch of celebrities and other people that are, you know, self-admitting to, to living with bipolar, had successful murders, but there's only one or two people I can think of that have openly talked about living with schizophrenia and yeah. having successful jobs. Is that just part of the illness? that schizophrenia is more debilitating, or do we just not hear it because it's stigma, that people don't want to admit they have schizophrenia? So now you're asking mostly my opinion, and I, I think it, I, I had to say schizophrenia is much more debilitating. So what you might hear stories about are people who were very successful and then became schizophrenic. So right. they might like Nash, Nash. or uh, the lead singer for the, what's his name, Wilson the lead singer of the Beach Boys is a lauded genius and he had the greatest harmonies ever. And then he became psychotic, but not sure what. But let's just say it was schizophrenia. He's not productive. He's not a great musician anymore. But he could be somebody that could talk about schizophrenia and his struggles. But most people who have schizophrenia are um, get it a little earlier. And so they don't have time to establish any kind of fame. And so they will um, they'll just kind of fall off the radar. I mean, I think they're probably athletes who've become schizophrenic that you don't hear about much because, you know, they can have a career, at least up through college, before they fall off the radar. Um, but with bipolar, you could be um, – you could, and schizophrenia is a downward course. So most people with schizophrenia, as they get older, they literally their IQ starts to drop and their thinking gets slower and their memory gets worse. <clears throat> and with bipolar, that can happen as well, but not as precipitously. Um, so people with bipolar, when they're euthymic, and if they're well-treated, they can do very well. And often bipolar is sort of, for whatever reason, clusters more in 
uh, people in good or above average socioeconomic situations. So they have better families, they have more access to services, they can get better treatment, and when they're euthymic, they can do, you wouldn't tell them apart from anybody else. But some with schizophrenia, even when they're well treated, they're always a little, they not, I shouldn't say always, they often seem a little off. Like you're not going to have somebody with bad schizophrenia running a major corporation. It just, right. I mean, if it does happen, I've never heard of it. Um, but usually it's a downward spiral. And it, when people with schizophrenia, their parents are more likely to have schizophrenia and they're more likely to be poor. And the whole thing goes downhill. So people with schizophrenia, if you just pick them out randomly from our society, they're usually near the bottom of the socioeconomic heap. If you pick people with bipolar randomly, they're going to do a little bit better. And I think schizoaffective is more on the schizophrenia side. Of things. It's more debilitating. Yeah. And so you had, a, you know, mentioned stuff that comes up. I think we talked about it before here about people with schizophrenia have autistic like tendencies. Okay. And there's a bunch of literature coming out now where they're trying to link certain things with schizophrenia and autism and like uh, <laughs> testing you know, to figure it out. So when they refer to that, what is the difference then between autism and schizophrenia? If you were to summarize it, and then why do they always associate the two together? Well, I think because there's the, they're associated because there's crossover in the symptomology. You know, autism, you know, a kid with autism might pile things randomly. Like instead of playing with toys normally, like pushing cars along the floor, they might pile the cars up. Okay. And that looks like a lot of disorganized behavior. They won't make good eye contact. They might have flat affect. That looks a lot like schizophrenia. So there's sort of crossover on, on how it looks. And also going way back to when it was first described, that was one of the things. Autism was one of the, those key fe four features. So the major differences are people with autism, it's diagnosed very young. You can see it in, you know, infants essentially. You know, infants that don't sort of track and smile and, and uh, you know, goo-goo normally. Um, you so can tell goo-goo, goo-gooing. Yes, yes it is a, it's a medical term. Reciprocal play, you call it. So, yeah, that goo-gooing and then you know, kids from, you know, you know, young kids, you know, they goo-goo. Wait, what are you trying to say over my children? No, no I'm <laughs> Yes. So, you know what, you know, normal right. interactions look like. And kids, like, they love to, one of the fun things that kids always learn is to drop things off of their high chair. Mm -hmm. So what they like to do is they take it and they, they, it sort of feels powerful and magical for it to just kind of disappear. But what they really are looking at is your faces. Right. So cause it's so exciting. They see how excited you are for it to fall and how mischievous it is. Or peekaboo is another great example. You know, it's very interactive. When you play with a, a child who's not living with autism, you're playing with them. The toy car is just the vehicle, no pun intended, for the two of you to play together. Right. So you're looking back and forth at each other, you're looking at the car, and then you look at each other, and you giggle, and then you come up with a game. That's how kids play. The, the toy is just something to help you along to socialize with your, uh, your caregiver or your friend. But someone with autism, they might sit there and play with you, and they play with the car, but they, they don't really look at you. The car is really the most important thing, and they might not be using the car in a normal way. And if they want to get your attention, they won't look at you and then look at the car like a... We do this without even thinking about it. I'll look at you, and then I'll look at the car, and I want you to look. If I look back right now at the door, people want to look back. And so 
if if I'm doing that, that's normal. But if I'm somebody with autism, they might grab your hand and put it on the car. So they're using you like an object. And so you can see these things from a very young age. With schizophrenia, you know, sometimes there's some literature that says that people with schizophrenia are kind of always a little odd at some point, but that's not true across the board. You know, some people with schizophrenia were odd as kids and some were just totally normal. Right. Um, but people with autism, you have to have it from a young age, from the beginning all the way through. Okay. So they're different in that sense. Schizophrenia sort of comes on in adolescence and later, and autism by definition happens it's basically the day you're born. You're born with autism. Um, and people can have genetic loading for schizophrenia and not become schizophrenic. We don't know as much about autism. So if, if someone has a family history of schizophrenia, yes. their parents have this and then they're having, let's say, bizarre behaviors but not full psychotic breaks, yeah. and they're young, yeah. can they be diagnosed then? Well, no. I mean, unless they meet the diagnosis, you can't diagnose them. They have to have two of those five things. So if they have two of those five things, yes, you can diagnose them. You can diagnose, there's no age limit. So kids 12 and they're clearly psychotic and you know, they're disorganized and they kind of weren't that way before. Yeah, you can diagnose them with schizophrenia. You can treat them for schizophrenia. It doesn't happen very frequently, fortunately, but it happens. I've seen it in kids. I used to think like that'll never happen until I had a clinic with kids. I was like, oh my God, it happens. And now here I am putting a little kid on antipsychotic. It feels horrible. But what is the alternative? Right. Yeah. And the, the research does show the better and earlier you treat people, the better off they are. So if schizoaffective and schizophrenia with a mood disorder, mm-hmm. can you have schizophrenia with other disorders like a developmental disability, like autism, or fragile X, or would that those symptoms just be associated I, I, with I think those are exclusions. I'd have to review it. I honestly don't know. Somebody, one of the psychiatrists or anybody in the audience remember what the exclusion criteria for schizophrenia are in terms of... Uh, I think with autism, I think you can have both. You can be autistic and have schizophrenia. 